Welcome to John Graves Kayak Fishing here on Anchor FM. I'm not the type of podcast host that has talking points. I don't uh, pre-plan any of these really. Even when I invite guests over here to the Rock and Star Ranch and we sit down in the tack room and we talk about things that really don't plan anything. We just more or less like friends just sit down and talk. There's certainly enough within that time period of talking to somebody that I can come up with a whole lot of things to ask them because I'm absolutely fascinated by the sport we call kayak bass fishing. I learn differently. I don't read books necessarily. I don't watch a lot of YouTube videos. I have, but it's something I just don't sit down on a lot. I'm more of a hands-on guy. And when there's very few people within your hula hoop space to be with you every day, to talk about it every day with you, to, to hang out with at least two or three times a week, you don't have that hands-on. It's an isolated sport. You're not necessarily showing up with a bunch of runners down at Lunkin Airport. You're not getting on your bike and riding it to to the Loveland bike trail to meet up with a bunch of road bike guys. It truly is a sport where you you tend to go out by yourself and submerse yourself into God's creation. And you can only give yourself so much hands-on experience. You, You, of course, are learning things. You're learning about your equipment but you're not sharing the knowledge with anybody, really. That's kind of where I'm at with anything I do. I hung out with some guys that were like Army Intelligence this weekend. All they talked about was research they've done. And guess who performed this weekend? It was the people that did the research that had that prior crank going in their head, anticipating and basically knowing what they are going to do, fishing Dale Hollow to produce fish to compete in that. So I'm talking about the Paddle and Fin podcast and the Eastport Marina Dale Hollow kayak bass fishing tournament that we had just this past weekend. And um, if you don't know me real well, I I am a pretty sensitive kind of guy. I can take an ass whooping. I can take a beating. Uh, You can tease me. uh, You can laugh about things. I, I, I tend to, you know, when we... Laughing with people is different than laughing at people. But I'm the type of person that you can even laugh at And not only with, but you can laugh at, like if I slip and bust my ass on the dock, you know, I mean, and you break out a laugh because it was funny as hell. Because honestly, when people fall down, it's funny, you know, so boom, you know, we can't help but laugh at that. They got America's funny, funniest videos. I mean, you know, it's funny, you know, we never want anybody to get hurt, but 
I can laugh at myself in that way too. I'd probably be the first one to get up after I grab my hip and it's sore, I'm sure, and I rebound, I'd start laughing about how funny it is. So I'm not that type of sensitive. I'm sensitive to emotions and feelings and people and and um, I don't know, there may be a word for it, but I can read people and their energy really well. I can usually peg somebody that has ill intent or somebody that has good intent. I can read that pretty good. And uh, I don't know. I think there's a name for that type of thing. I'd probably be a damn good crystal ball reader. You know, whatever those gypsies do. I could probably show me a few things on this crystal ball and I could probably figure that stuff out. So I'm filled with emotion. And there's a price to pay to, to be a person like that. You get filled with a tremendous amount of emotion. Love, hate, uh, sadness, happiness, disparity, anxieties. Um, because you're not only reading that from people, you're, fe- you're feeling that one from yourself and experiencing everything the same the same that other people do those highs and lows but you're also reading that in other people and when you read that in other people you absorb it you can't help it 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 harbors on you like a like a barnacle pow stick into your haul you got to work hard to get that off but it's there and those things can really weigh you down and slow you down with a lot of them. Or the opposite can happen. You can be filled with so many good things by reading what the energy of an event or people. You can be just explosive with happiness and just thinking this is the best thing you've ever done in your life. It's the greatest thing. These people are awesome. But that also is an energy consumer. It takes energy to be happy. <laughs> you're active, you're smiling, you're talking, you're engaging. Next thing you know, eight o'clock comes by and your ass is whooped. You're ready to pass out at the Mexican cantina table. Plop, your head falls right down in your taquitos. So the Paddle and Finn Dale Hollow tournament for me was filled with all of this. And I am just downright exhausted right now. Now there's other things that are weighing heavy on me. My lift vehicle, my <laughs> wonderful little Audi A3 Sportback. Got 41 miles to the gallon. Everybody loved this thing. It had two sunroofs. Paid 8500 bucks cash for it. I probably should have taken one of those warranty calls. The engine blew on it last Monday. Which means that I have no ability to earn any money as of right now. And lift driving is good money. If you get out there and you hit those bonuses, man. Got a car, it's clean, got good gas mileage, nothing but five stars. Nothing but five stars is what I get. 
and I've been doing this for 18 months, 19 months. I love the job, meeting people, engaging, and also reading that energy. And in a weird way, you're almost like, uh, I don't know, whether you like it or not, you're the, you're the psychiatrist that's sitting there listening to this person in your back seat, you know, expose all of their emotions and all of the heartache and troubles that they're going through or happiness. Most of the time you'd be surprised. A lot of people engage in exposing what's going wrong in their life in the backseat of his lift vehicle. And, uh, but the beauty of that is that you're an ear, a non-biased ear for that person to talk to you you're not judging them and they feel good doing that and by the end of the ride those people do feel a little bit better that was one of the really neat things about that job that was an award of unintended consequences so I'm really kind of bummed out that I don't have a car right now to just go out here in a couple hours and just start running for three or four or five hours, go make about 110 bucks, come back home, do the stalls. And uh, work toward the weekend. We got Acton Lake, Cincinnati Kayak Fishing, second tournament on the calendar coming up in two weeks. I have no idea how I'm going to get there. <laughs> oh, boy. And as of right now, I don't have the, the, the entry money to even... You know, sign up for it. That's horrible. So that's what I've come back to. And, uh, you know, I got four horse stalls to look forward to here. My mower's down. I got a zero turn. We got about seven acres here at the ranch. And most of it needs to be mowed with the exception of two paddocks, two smaller paddocks. Unfortunately, the bigger one, which is almost two and a half acres. Uh, needs mowing. The grass is healthy and it grows high over there. And uh, But you can't push mow that thing. You'd be out there for a month of Sundays and then the other remaining property we have around here is uh, needs to be mowed at least this time of the year when the grass is doing what it does almost three times a week. And uh, you got to push mow that damn thing now <laughs> because the zero turns down. And uh, so I got equipment that I get to uh, spend a lot of time on and, uh, and work on. And unfortunately, I'm not making any money when I do all of that. So there's a lot of time working on all this equipment and I'm not earning any money to support this dirty, filthy, filthy fishing habit <laughs> that I have. And I don't want her paying for it. And uh, so that's weighing a little heavy. But this past weekend that I really want to touch on, especially the brother and the sisterhood of kayak bass fishing. So Monday, my car blew its last mile, man. Route 32 right there in front of Eastgate Mall. I had to pull over to the side, put the flashers on. Get the bad news a couple days later that your engine's blown, man. So that's pretty much saying goodbye to the car. 
I couldn't leave Lisa back here without a secondary vehicle or vehicle so that I could use the Suburban to pull the kayak down and basically camp in the Suburban. I love doing it. I got a bed made back there for it. There's a lot of room. All my equipment's up there in that second row seating. The back is all taken out. The seats are taken out. Mattress in there. I love camping like that. It's super cheap and I had absolutely no freaking money. So tight. And that was pretty much a deal breaker for the Dale Hollow tournament. I was bummed. I so badly wanted to get to that tournament because two weeks prior, I'd gone down there and met up the whole Yak Gadget pro staff team. John and Charles, those cats put us up in a beautiful place called the Hodgepodge Lodge. Man, it was everything that you'd expect. A really neat log cabin retreat place out. It was great. A lot of space, bunks all over the place. Had so much fun hanging out down there. Not only meeting those guys and talking, kayak bass fishing and learning. If you're listening, you're learning. And there was so much conversation going on across the room, in the corner, around the tables, by the kitchen. I was just absorbing everything I could possibly absorb down there listening to everybody. And then we'd go out on the Obi River, and I was catching fish like Jordan Lee and KVD and the G-Man, all like wrapped up in one. I was pulling fish out of there, tossing them back in. Pulling fish out of there, tossing them back in. I caught uh, 50, I mean, I don't know, 40 to 60 bass. That's more bass than I've caught in three years out of a kayak. It was amazing. You know, they were all young bucks getting ready to go up into the beds. I was using a Texas rig, Strike King, Sweet Tater Pie on an American Tackle, Sharpenite Worm Hook is what I was using. I had that thing looking so pretty. What I didn't know was happening, and I figured out what was happening yesterday morning down at Dale Hollow. Those bucks were getting up in those nesting areas. They were simply picking things up and moving it. And that's all. It wasn't a big just slam on that bait. It was just a really soft, gentle. There was little wind. You could watch the line. Twitch, twitch. Slightly moving. You jerked their face off. All they were doing, I didn't figure it out until yesterday morning, is on those nests, they're picking that thing up and getting it out of there. They're not eating it. Not taking off with it. Not wanting to kill it. They're just picking it up and getting it out of there. And and they will do that. Bucks will tend to their nests like that. They'll pick things up. You catch those bucks, they got them bloody f- faces, their lips are all bloodied up, or they're, they're picking up rocks, scooting rocks. They're working hard, literally working their tails off to create these nests. Something I've never seen in that magnitude before. See a couple of them around the pond here every once in a while doing it, but 
to see that many doing it. So sight fishing, something I haven't, I don't have good sight, but the water clarity was enough where you'd see those dorsal fins sticking up. And I was just hitting the structure. It was amazing what was happening. So I was probably one of the first ones to sign up for the paddle and fin, Dale Hollow, Eastport Marino, kayak bass fishing tournament. I was probably one of the first ones. Excited to get down there. So bam, didn't think it was gonna happen. It was like what, Tuesday? I put a post up on Facebook. And you know, that's, I'll expose what's happening to me when it comes to this kayak bass fishing. I'm gonna lay it all out, whether it's good or bad. Um, it's just something I feel that that may be my niche in this whole podcast, you know, thing. Um, something I talk about, you know, the experience. And I hope that you can learn from that as you, as you mature as a kayak angler, because these things will happen to you, whether you like it or not, in some way, shape, or form. You're going to hook that biggest bass of your life under a Gunnersville bridge and you're going to get it up to the kayak and it's going to look at you and say, today's not your day, baby. And it's going to just demoralize your whole complete question of what your life choices are. Boom, it's going to blow them out of the water. That will happen to you. If you stop today as a kayak angler, it won't. But if you continue on as a kayak angler, that will happen to you. So that may be in part what John Graves kayak fishing is all about. It's just those kind of things that aren't often talked about. But what happens, they all happen. Well, the brotherhood and the sisterhood of kayak bass fishing started to shine around Tuesday morning. I had Jeff Hepp, who I don't know, didn't know at that time Jeff very well. Uh, we had, I don't think, ever met. I do believe he lives like up in Toledo. Jeff was traveling to the tournament and offered to put my kayak up in the back of his pickup truck and drive me down there. And I was immediately like, wow, that is amazing. <laughs> I really appreciate it. I don't know what to say. Uh, I, I'm not sure what I can think about that. So logistically, my mind started to just go nuts at that point. Am I going to camp out? I don't have the money to spend on a lodge or anything. I, I, I was going to camp out. So I can take my two-man tent. I had a really beautiful 10-man tent, which was awesome for this situation because I could actually pull all of my equipment inside it and store it. Damn thing had three rooms. But unfortunately, a backhoe ran into it, destroyed it. So now I have a two-man tent, which is kind of a squeeze-in. But uh, so, so what could I do, you know, at that point? Oh, I got I have to stand up. Did a lot of sitting down, driving back and forth to Dale Hollow and then inside that kayak. 
I'll walk back into the tack room here. Hey, old gray barn cat. How you doing, buddy? It's good to be back home at the tack room. Well, Michael Grimsley, Angler of the Year, Cincinnati Kayak Bass Fishing, the belt owner himself. Another guy that uh, I knew, Michael. I've seen him out there, and I met Michael once or twice, but I didn't know him that well. He reached out. Hey, buddy, I got room on my trailer. I can haul two kayaks, and I can put you on it. We have a spare room in the place we're staying. If not, you can sleep on the couch. So that right there, wow. It, it, it's getting a little better because now I have a couch I can sleep on. You know, I can just be a bum. And uh, it was just like, oh man, when do we even take off? Wednesday morning? Early Wednesday morning, you know, and the good, and Michael loves to fish. That boy loves to fish. That boy loves smallmouth and anybody I've ever really talked to for an extended period of time. He loves smallies. And that was really what he wanted to go down there and crush on was some smallmouth. I just wanted to go down there and catch five fish and make my limit for the first time. Wednesday morning, super early, which is good for me because I want to get in as much fishing as I possibly can. So if he can pick me up super early Wednesday morning, and I'm talking early, and he did, he swung in here like at 5.30. He knows the area. In fact, he did the audio and video of our neighbors. So he knows where I'm at. He pulls up and he's got this trailer that's amazing. It's got lights all over it. It looks like a semi going down the road. It's got two big, huge, massive tubes on one side. It's got his kayak loaded up on the other two on the other side. He backs that thing up. We get loaded up within about six minutes. And we are southbound and down. In fact, we started singing that song. We get down there. And it felt like we drove to Lexington. The drive went so fast. It was so fluid. The conversation was nothing but guess what. We talked bass fishing. I learned. Again, another one of those opportunities. Open up your ears and listen to somebody that's probably a few steps ahead of you. And I learned some things. So we get down there. I'm not sure exactly who's showing up. So lo and behold, they start. Chris Houck. I was glad to see Chris Houck for a lot of reasons. He's a fun guy to hang out with. He's another person you can learn something from. Army intelligence. You know, army intelligence, guys... They're not like C-average in high school. (laughs) Okay. I 
aviation ordnance men, you know, we're the guys that just get blown up. Army intelligence <laughs> is a different breed, right? So you're talking about somebody that can do research on any subject, really, and has the mind capabilities of doing that. Chris Houck is one of those. And I hope that's how you pronounce your name, Chris. I'm not even sure, to be honest with you. But he also had a ring of mine that he had found at a dock. And he's had it for a long time. And so he was able to return the ring to me. So Chris pulled up. And then next was smiling Chris Anderson. And Chris Anderson reminds me of like an Anthony Munoz type. He's a big boy. He's even got hands like Anthony Munoz. I mean, that damn thing, they, they bend in like four or five different directions, his fingers. Don't don't ever mention it around him. He'll he'll take that pinky finger he's got and he'll he'll bend that thing and then like, oh man, your knees go weak. And so you're talking to him, you're saying hi to everybody, and it was just nice to not feel this COVID containment that we've all been in. And it was for the first time that we were all around in close proximity and feeling good and not worrying. Not even We didn't even think about that stuff. And we are also in the poorest county of Tennessee. And that part of uh, did we ever leave Kentucky? No, I don't think we ever left Kentucky. So, But anyway, we were in the poorest county of the, whatever state we were in. <laughs> I think Tennessee. You don't, you're not crossing any things that says, welcome to Tennessee, though, man. You're driving down a road. I don't even think I remember seeing anything like that. But again, that's what the conversation was doing to us. We, we weren't gazing out the window for long, drawn-out, Miles, we were just chatting it up, and um, it was just—it was just good to be around some guys and hang out and talk. Chris walks up and he's got these sandals on. You look down at his big feet, and his toenails are painted. But you dare not to really ask why. Hey, dude, why is your toenails painted? <laughs> I mean, he's like big. And so, you know, in conversation, it comes out. So for good luck, Chris will have his daughter paint his toenails. Well, talk more about that luck and how it worked out. <laughs> the mojo of the painted toenails. I'll be right back on John Graves kayak fishing. I got to tend to the horses real quick. I'm going to clean out those water buckets, but I got a lot more to tell you about the fun times we had in Dale Hollow and some really brutal times we had down in Dale Hollow. But that's what we love so much about kayak bass fishing. I'll be right back. Hey, ponies. Guys, want to go outside? Hey, come on. 
John Graves Kayak Fishing is sponsored by American Tackle. Winner of six worldwide industry awards, the microwave line control system. It's the most awarded technology in fishing tackle history. With a total of six worldwide best of show innovation awards. The reason? It is the most effective and efficient line control system ever created. The very purpose of line guides are to capture loose line coming off of a reel and control it during the cast efficiently allowing the rod and the angler to perform at their best. Combining science and practical application, the microwave line control system it captures and controls line immediately in the first guide and then throughout the cast with total line control. The results are improved rod reaction and a better angler performance. Folks, check it out at American Tackle Angler Products. Welcome back to John Graves Kayak Fishing here on Anchor FM. Where did I leave it? Here it is, right over here. My coffee. I'm not sponsored by Folgers, but I probably should be. Just made a second cup of coffee here. I'm going to walk through the tack room. Come on in, old gray barn cat. Buddy, I don't know. It looks like you've been losing some weight. I'm feeling okay. But I'm going to go right through the tack room here. Although it's nice, cozy, and warm, I'm going to sit out here in the back of the barn. Look at a couple muddy horses. I don't think I had the opportunity to uh, tell you about this float pad that I found hanging from a tree along Dale Hollow's banks. A lot of flooding's been going on. There's a lot of stuff up on the banks there. And up in the tree was this float pad. Well, I had already had the Detroit lean going because my Hobie seat had ripped for me jumping up and down, jumping up and down. It's like Detroit lean going, that's what Jeff Hep called it. So this pad, it was dry, hanging out in the sun. I was able to put that thing down on my seat and it uh, really gave me the support I needed. It was awesome. In fact, it was kind of a, kind of a kayak cushion, but double stuff, if you know what I mean. Cause I actually think this may be some sort of a life preserver toss somebody this and they just hang on it, put their chest up on it and kick legs and get away from the shark. But there it was and I took it. And it's worked out ever since. And, and with the combination of having a office chair that has a one of those like oval backrest, it's got a wood midsection or a hard plastic midsection and it's wrapped with foam and leather maybe. I got one of those off of a chair that somebody was throwing away and I put that up in my lumbar region and I'm telling you it increases the miles per hour in a Hobie Pro Angler roughly about a mile. You get up on your back and you start cranking it like you're standing up in a mountain bike or you're standing up in a road bike and you're riding that thing uphill you're really pushing down on those quads. Folks I'm telling you you can start blazing. I topped five miles an hour doing that this weekend and it really felt good felt like I was like in the old spinning class again it was awesome 
I wish I could talk Planet Fitness and allowing me to work out on one of those elliptical machines. I think that's what they're called. Like maybe even a stair climber. And flipping in like a coffee can, just practicing my flipping while I'm doing that. That would be kind of cool. It's beautiful today in southwestern Ohio. Just awesome. Very pleasant. So, day one of the Paddle and Finn podcast tournament. The kayak bass fishing tournament down in Eastport Marina. Day one. Everybody was very excited. Kayaks are lit up. People are getting in the water early. It's dark. The weather already seems relatively nice. A little, little chilly, but felt comfortable. Everybody's just pumped and heading off to their spots. And there was, I don't know, maybe eight kayakers that were leaving from that area. I didn't know it at the time, but Richard from Eastport Marina had rented out rooms in these docked houseboats that are down there. And the Kayak Anglers podcast, uh, the uh, Paddle and Fin podcast gang, Brian and Jay, Jimmy, Susie, this gang that's going to operate this tournament. And that's not an easy thing to do, especially if you're videotaping it and you're doing live feeds. And I, I, I commend them for, at this point in time, being the pioneers of a live feed during a kayak bass fishing tournament. You guys, that's not easy to do. And I hope that you continue doing that. And you capitalize on that. You become the people that are known for doing that really good. And I hope that you learn a few things. Maybe you made some mistakes. Maybe equipment didn't work out for you. But it didn't go unnoticed by any of us as kayak anglers. The work you were going through. Hell, look at the batteries you guys had to charge up. Stuff laying all over the place. And it looks like you guys were camped out for like 30 days there. I saw more bacon in that refrigerator. I have to give a big, big thank you to Susie Roloff. She was a judge there. And uh, that's not an easy thing to do either because you're DQing people, you know? You're disqualifying photos. And that's not no fun to do with, you know, especially if you like people. And, um, I'm a coffee drinker. I have to drink my coffee. It's, again, it's something I have to do. I've been drinking coffee since I was seven years old. Ewing County, Kentucky. Folgers Instant Coffee Crystals. Or Folgers in a percolator. And lots of cream, lots of sugar. That's how I've been. But I can't do dairy products really anymore. So I use the Carnation Instant Creamer. And I don't feel necessarily good about a couple big powders. I mean, I had to put a lot in there because I like a sweet and white. And I've been using a lot of sugar and that's not healthy for anybody. Well, in desperation, 
to put something in my coffee, black coffee, for the tournament. I found, or I should say, I walked up to the houseboat that Paddle and Finn podcast crew were using. And I said, hey, do you guys got coffee, creamer? I think it was Jimmy may have walked me over to the table or the refrigerator and opened it up. And the only thing left was this flavored carnation creamer, liquid. I can't stand that stuff. Just one smell of that hazelnut. Not to mention the pumpkin spice during the holidays. Oh my God. You know what that does to a good cup of coffee? It kills it. Jeez. Can't, oh. I need to do, literally, I get headaches. So I looked at it and I'd never really seen that color before. It was like a purple looking color. And I looked at it and it said, Italian sweet cream. Now I do know what Italian sweet cream is and I like it. It doesn't have a whole lot of smell to it, but it's sweet and just creamy, whether it's in a pastry or in tea or coffee. I used to own a tea shop, a tea parlor. (laughs) And uh, that's another story. And so I tried it. Didn't really have that hazelnut gross smell to it. So I, I tried it, no offense to the people that thrive on that you know you and the tab drinkers there's still a few people that drink tab get in the black market now and so I put it in the coffee and the first sip was like whoa and I took another sip and it was one of those like take a bigger sip and I was like immediately sold and it immediately changed my life it will change my life into the future because I got to get away from sugar I'm telling you right now Susie they're going to be selling a lot of that stuff to me for the rest of my life. It's the only solution that I've found to substitute how I want my coffee. So big shout out to Susie Roloff, other, AKA, you don't get disqualified. You don't get DQ'd. You get Susie Q'd. She's not sponsored by Missile Bates, but she probably should be. As everybody headed out to their spots in Dale Hollow, there was really not much activity on the surface of the water. Shad's not busting the surface. You don't see much popping going along the side. Carp aren't really jumping. Gars aren't really necessarily rolling over. You don't see a whole lot of fish birds. I'm not seeing the fish birds. (laughs) Wondering what's going on. But I moved back to my productive spot that I had picked out. There was a 10 by 20 beautiful little spot as far as I could get back in this cove. It wasn't far from the marina, which made it very helpful and useful. Didn't have to a long way to pedal. And I got about halfway there and I said, you know what, I'm just gonna start right here. Might as well because it's lines in. So, my first cast, I'm using the Accurist S3 Inshore Combo Topwater and Jerkbait Rod and Reel. 
Okay, it's set up for throwing a top water in a jerk bait. I have on it since the last time because just serendipitously at the Yak Gadget Pro Staff Meetup, I was using that to catch all the fish. I tossed that thing out. First cast, I get a bite. Whoa, 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 here we go, funness. You know what that does to you? A first cast with a bite is much better than a first cast with a cast because I think you can actually jinx yourself in a certain way with a first cast catch. So, I got the first cast bite, it's on. Second cast, I bring in a 12 and a half inch fish. That thing just needs to be 12 inches. Guess what? It's going up on the leaderboard. So within just a matter of minutes, I had submitted a fish to the leaderboard. I caught two more fish within little time. In fact, I just decided let's don't load these up right now. Let's just wait a little bit. I want to catch as many fish as I possibly can because there is that inter, uh, there's that uh, stage when you catch the fish. You got to take a little time, measure it, release it, take the pictures, make sure the picture's all good. You're keeping it in the net, keep it in the water. Maybe you got fish grips on it, you know, whatever you're doing, but you're, you're taking a little time, a couple minutes. And I just wanted to keep that fish thing going. I had my limit for the first time, for the first time in my life at a tournament, I had my limit. I've been doing this for a long time, four years, going into my really fifth year. And I had my limit at a tournament for the first time. And I hope you can hear the smile on my face that I have, because that was a, it felt like it was just another level, another platform that I as an angler have reached. You know, not everybody's a Jody Queen, you know, but, but you work at it hard enough and you dedicate your life as Jody Queen has. There's no reason why you can't be doing and fishing at that level, but damn, that's, that's some work and uh, I'm not there. And I bet you Jody Queen was pretty damn excited when he limited for the first time. And it might have been on the first tournament. <laughs> but it took me four years and I've been doing a lot of tournaments. And not only was I able to limit out, but then I was able to shift gears. Now my game plan and my battle plan was precisely planned and not precisely planned. I'm doing the same thing as I did when I was down there a couple weeks prior to catch the fish. It wasn't precisely planned, but it was executed. And I dissected on that bank every foot and a half or so with that Texas rig. And I caught a lot of bass. So naturally, I'm firing up the leaderboard and getting people excited. I was, for the first time, as Chris Halk, Army Intelligence, says, 
I was putting a psychological whoop ass on people. The same one that we all feel when we see the, quote, Jody Queens of the world putting 18, 19, 20-inch fish up before it's 9 o'clock a.m. Come back into the tack room a little bit. Temperature's dropping here in southwestern Ohio. This coffee's going down good. I felt great. That was one of the most uplifting and just energizing and motivating things I've ever gone through was being the, at least the leader for the first half of the day. And not just the leader by a few inches, but just by a few fish. By having a lot of fish and then working out the calling of those fish and so game plan A throw as tight as I can up on the bank the Texas rig sweet tater pie strike king shimmy stick bam 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 I caught probably eight fish on the first one before I switched out that thing can take a beating I had five packs of them ready. So then I thought, I got my five up on the board. I got my limit. Now let's try finding the big ones. And in my educated guess, the best one that I could offer myself out there in a relatively beautiful day was to go deeper. So then I switched to my jigs. I used a jig master, like a dirty Sanchez, with a yum green pumpkin, like crawl. Similar to like the pack of crawl. I'm not sure exactly what yum calls them. In fact, I even clipped a small bit of it off so it was square at the end. And I packed it down onto that jig. And I started flipping. And flipping. And flipping. And the conditions were nice for flipping. The wind was working calmly, blowing me softly sideways. I was just running along the bank and flipping and flipping. I flipped up over a log, or I should say a a limb, that was about a foot and a half off the water and for the first time I got aggressive in my flipping flip that into junk throw it into the just junk let it just go into that stuff what I was finding that the fish were up under all of that drift wood debris just throwing that jig letting it crawl across the top until it found a little open space and it dropped straight down well, this was one of those spots, but I had flipped it up over this limb that was above the water. About three feet from that limb, that jig finds an open spot and it drops. And I see the line 
that's suspended over the limb just get taut. And I jerked it hard. At this point in time, I'm using the Quantum. It's a bait casting, like a shallow cranking rod. A little bit thicker, a little bit beefier, sensitive rod tip. Beautiful, beautiful rod. Plus, it comes with a five-year warranty. Because <laughs> when you're fishing hard, man, you're going to break some rods. And I gave it a jerk. And I hooked up to something because it started fighting. And I knew immediately that this was a different fish. All I could do was crash my Hobie Pro Angler 14 into these limbs, risking all of my poles that are standing straight up about seven foot. They're in my Hobie uh, Pro Angler uh, Yak Gadget low pro crate and they're held in there pretty good but when you start hitting into limbs and stuff like that you're risking breaking eyelets getting line caught up it's just a hassle if it's windy it's dangerous and I pulled that bass up out of the water and it was hanging there by its lip on the end of that jig and I crashed the nose of that thing right into that brush. I climbed out over the front of my kayak, extending my arm as far as I can with the net, and I got the net up underneath the fish. I reached back, grabbed my pole, released the bail, and that thing fell straight down into the net. I pulled that thing up into my kayak. I pushed off just the tree limbs were trying desperately to steal all of my rods. We broke free. I backpedaled that bad boy. I was breathing heavy. I was, yeah, we just upgraded. And I was holding a 17 inch plus fish. I, Forget exactly what that thing measured, but I didn't care at the time, actually. This put me up even more in the standings. I was pumped. The day got slow for me at that point in time. I kept flipping, I kept flipping, I kept flipping. Nothing. I kept flipping, I kept trying all that drift. Day was changing. That happens sometimes. These fish are wild animals. You're not going to predict the day. They are. And they can do anything they want. A lot like humans. Compare them both. When you're thinking about stuff. Think about fish and think about how humans react to each other. How fish react to each other. What they do. How their lifestyles are. Very similar. I felt good. They turned the standings off. Last time I checked, I was like fifth or sixth. Got back to the uh, 
award ceremony venue there at the farm. And of course, everybody's giving me the fist bumps, man. You know, excited, wanting to hear about it, talking about it. And I felt very good. I felt for the first time like uh, something as a kayak angler. This feels good. Like I, I just, I don't know. I put in a lot of work in this sport as we all do. If you want to get better, you got to put in a lot of work and time. And I've sacrificed so much time and, and so much money and so much Elisa's time and a lot of, you know, a lot of my family's time in an indirect way. And because uh, if you're out there by yourself alone, you're not with them. And uh, that, that made a lot of that guilt in a way that I carry feel a little bit better. I don't know. I guess that's the best way I can explain it. I slept well that night. Looking forward to the second day. But day two, and I did make it in the top ten, by the way. I was still in the money. All I had to do was go catch five 12-inch fish the next day. I may not have won that tournament with that, but I would have been most likely in the top five. I needed five 12-inch fish. Day two had plans for all of us. For most of us, those plans weren't good. But for a couple of us, that day couldn't have been any better. I'll be right back. Thank you for listening to John Graves Kayak Fishing. I'm going to go pull the ponies in. I'm going to go feed them some grain. And I've got a lot to tell you about day two. John Graves Kayak Fishing is sponsored by Lisa Spear, realtor for Caldwell Banker. If you're looking for the dream home, and it comes in many, many sizes, she's the one to help you out. If you're specifically in the southwestern Ohio area, that's even better. Call her up at 513-317-6004. That's Lisa Spear at Caldwell Banker, realtor. Welcome back to John Graves Kayak Fishing here on Anchor FM. I'm going to turn that heat down a little bit, old gray barn cat. I worked up a sweat, and that is warm. I'm going to open up this back door, allow the tack room to breathe. It's getting a little stifling in there. I'm going to come outside, and I'm going to sit on this red float pad that I found. I love it already so many, many ways. What's happening, Emilio Pucci? The world's smallest, greatest horse. This is his domain right here, him and his old lady. Hi. 
buddy. How are you? He's a beautiful red, white spots. He's got a long mane. Just a funny, funny little guy. I don't have nothing for you, buddy. I can hit your forehead. That's okay. Have you ever seen a Labradoodle? My God, they had two Labradoodles down at Eastport Marina. And they were absolutely the most... I mean, they look like Muppet characters, like something Jim Hansen has, you know. I put my cowboy hat on one, and it was just the funniest thing ever. In fact, if you go to my Facebook page, John Marion Graves, you'll see him. <laughs> it's just amazing. Oh, boy. Good times. That was at the farm. A place where you could have the weddings and all kinds of stuff. Well, day number two the outlook at the award ceremony of the first day not really an award ceremony just sort of like a captain's meeting where you got your day two identifiers there was already buzz about the weather was going to change I looked on the AccuWeather smartphone app and south of us around Oklahoma Texas Arkansas area. Looked like it was all coming out of the Gulf. Hey, you better not bite me, you little knucklehead. It looked like pizza pie down there. It was amazing. And I could see with the projections that they had that within the time that night falls, that weather is going to start really moving into the part of Tennessee where we were at. The change of plans for me on the second day was where I stayed and where I had my kayak. I wasn't going to change my game plan at all. It's the only thing I knew. I mean, just, just keep at it. All I needed was five 12-inch fish. But for Michael Grimsley, who's a little bit more, um, I guess, aggressive, you might say, than I am, at, at this stage in his fishing life, was desperately wanting to go somewhere else to catch some smallies. And I don't blame him. They're a fun fish to catch. And if you're gonna go down hard, you might as well go down hard trying to compete catching smallies. See, he was gonna give it everything he got and go to another location. I thought at that point, since we were so far apart from where I wanted to launch and where he wanted to go, I didn't want to waste a lot of his tournament day as a piece of baggage in his truck taking me to and from, although Michael Grimsley had no problem with that. But I kind of felt, you know, not so comfortable with it. It would have been a lot easier if I went with Michael Grimsley and the other crew. I don't even know where they went, to be honest with you. I think South Point, somewhere around there, if that was Southport. They went where the big fish were. I went where the little bucks were. I went to Bucktown. First day, I had my cowboy hat on. 
shaded my head from the sun. I didn't get that sunburn on my forehead and my face like you do just ordinary ball cap. Felt comfortable. I could put a little do-rag up there in my head, got a little warm. I put a little do-rag up there with some maybe a little wet water, you know, just kind of cool it off a little bit, tuck that up in the cowboy hat, and it'd lay on top of my head. But it works good. However, the second day, I failed to wear it, at least the first part. That might have been part of my inability. I couldn't find fish with a search warrant. Fish are like fugitives, you know. You can draw them out of the front, or they're going to sneak out the bathroom window. So I decided, with a space available for me, to stay on the boat at East Port Marina. Nah, those houseboats are nice. They rent those out. If you get one, they'll even drive it out for you. Dock it, anchor down, and you can just chill in your own private, wonderful little spot of Dale Holland. There's so many places to hide, hang out in. You won't see anybody. You don't really see anything man-made there except an occasional house way up on the cliff. Those cliff faces drop straight down. Not too many lakes like that that we can fish here in southwestern Ohio. Caesars Creek is kind of similar to that, but not too many have that type of environment. There's an abundance of food there in Dale Hollow. Fish don't have to turn desperate. They get what they want. So early in the morning on day two, well, let me go back a little bit though for a second. It was the evening of day one and I'm now at the houseboat. My kayak is already docked and in the water. It's there, it's ready. I don't have my poles in my Yak Gadget XD crate, nor do I have my battery in the kayak. It's charging up, but for everything else, it was ready to rock and roll. As everybody's just chilling, hanging out on the patios of these beautiful houseboats, night lights, two, three pound shad <laughs> are busting the surface. They're, they're just like big. It's hard to see shad. I mean, it's hard to see. It's not hard to see them at all. They're so big. It's, it's uh, you hardly see shad like that, I guess is what I want to say. Not around here, I don't think. I've never seen anything that big. Can you eat those? Ew. Grind them up and make a, something to dip your artificials in. Well, there wasn't much for food. But two of the gentlemen that I shared the houseboat with were retired West Virginia state troopers. Yeah. Those guys are hiding off behind the billboard 
waiting for you to go screaming by. It's hot pursuit time in a Crown Vic, baby. Let's get it. Police interceptor, accelerator, hit the floor. Well, they decided to go into town. John Rapp and John Gillespie, good friends from way back, sharing many stories. They invited me into town to go grab a bite to eat. I think by this time I looked pretty pitiful. Word was probably getting around that my engine blew, that I was just broke as hell. <laughs> they invited me to the restaurant. I had cash. I mean, I had not cash with me, but I had some money on my lift card there, my debit. Not a lot, but I had some to cover some food and things like that, you know. So let's go to the Mexican restaurant. So these two West Virginia retired state troopers have me captive, so to speak. And we go into this Mexican restaurant and we sit down at a booth. And we start telling stories, and uh, I don't know how it ended up that way, but I told them a story about how I repossessed an automobile in southern Florida. Flew down to Palm Beach, Florida. Hitched a ride down to Boca Raton where the car was at. I found the car the very first. I was, I was in Boca Raton for 32 minutes. I found the car. I thought that was too fast. I want to enjoy Boca Raton, never been here. Let's sit out the ocean, let's look out at the horizon and let's enjoy the life here at Boca Raton, Florida. I know nothing about it. And I won't go into great details with this story as I did with these two retired West Virginia State Troopers. I probably should hold this for another type of podcast, maybe, uh, you know, under the 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 title of Johnny Midnight, country, music, country Music's Best Dressed Road Manager or something like that, you know. Some of my adventures that led on to other adventures and other adventures in my past life. And I've had a few of them. Well, I'm sleeping on the beach. Long story short, I'm sleeping on the beach in a sleeping bag. The weather's beautiful. I'm figuring I'll catch Four or five hours, I'm hidden in some cypress trees deep. Nobody has any business coming back through here. Why would you? It was probably 5.28 a.m. And I hear a... I'm laying in my sleeping bag and only my face is sticking out of it. I probably look like some big blue woolly worm. And I look up and uh, let's just say Boca Raton is now I know is kind of well known for its, its gay community. And hey, that is what it is. But like heterosexuals that I've seen, <laughs> Stone Lake Lake, 
Nice young couple. Seem like you would expect them just to be a nice average couple. They're bankside on the picnic table. And I'm cruising by in my kayak looking over at them, just going, what in the world? So, hey. (laughs) Why would you not expect that in a gay community? Right? I mean... Let's go have fun. Let's go have adventure. Let's do something off the wall, spontaneous. Well, before sunrise, these two gentlemen, older, decided that they were going to have their intimate moment together. And um, I don't know. The, one of them noticed me there and took off running leaving the other one alone. The other one looking around going like, you know, what happened? I imagine that the other one who took off first was looking over at me, like kind of pointing in my direction. The other one started looking around and and looked down, his eyes focused, and there I was laying there looking straight at him. My eyes probably looked like cup saucers. They took off running. The slip that I made in the storytelling at that moment there at the Mexican restaurant, chowing down on those nachos and a salsa. I said, so I got my shit packed too. I got out of there. Meaning I rolled up my sleeping bag and got my shit packed, got out of there. Those two State troopers looked at each other and they looked back to me with sort of a grin on their face and they looked at me and were like, you got your shit packed too? For the life of that I will have knowing those two gentlemen, I will see them again at another tournament somewhere, I'm sure. I can guarantee what they're going to bring up they thought that was so funny. <laughs> Again, I'm the one that you can laugh at. <laughs> okay, let's leave the adult section of John Graves kayak fishing and let's get back to more important things like day two. By the time we got back to the marina, that storm front was moving in and moving in quick. Wind was starting to blow. It was totally changing the dynamics of how I was fishing the first day. Sight fishing, a line 12 pound fluorocarbon laying over the top of a calm water. Twitch, twitch, the line goes and slowly starts moving into the deep. Boom, set the hook. Simple as that. I thought I was doing myself a really good, like, favor. So I re-spooled the two rods that I were using. The Acurus S3 Inshore, Jerk Water, Rod and Reel Combo, and my Lose Rod. It's a 7-1 rod, 
It just works for me. I have a Curado reel on it, baitcasting reel. I have both lined up and ready to go. Spooled up, new line, new Texas rigs. Let's rock this thing. I slept like a baby that night. I absolutely slept like a baby. Those houseboats are amazing. I can kind of hear one of them state troopers down there ripping saws. The snore. Yeah. But it slept well. I got up and I was ready to rock and roll. I was looking forward to my first cup of coffee with Italian sweet cream. Thank you once again, Susie Q. And I'm ready to go. I got my stuff ready on that kayak. My battery's unplugged. It's plugged into my Lowrance. It's set down into the kayak. My rod covers are taken off. I'm looking at everything. I'm putting the sweet tater pie shimmy stick on both of those rods. I'm ready to go, but I'm carrying all my rods. I currently have seven I'm going with. It's takeoff time. Immediately, the wind was affecting us. It was pushing with talks of gust being around 10 to 20 and sometimes even 30 miles an hour. Now, it's a different kind of thing in Dale Hollow because that wind will also work its way straight down a rock face through trees, through brush, through picking up leaves. You can watch it just coming down. It's like a, a waterfall of dead leaves. And it hits that water and you see it coming right to you. Before the ripples in the water, you'll feel the wind and then the ripples in the water hit you, more wind. The current starts picking up. This affects things like bait fish, the decisions of some of these bass, where they're gonna go. Now, what are they gonna go a little deeper and start hanging very tight to structure? They're gonna fall back, retreat, stick to the sides. Are they still up there on the sides? You can't see the dorsal fins anymore. The water's choppy as hell. Well, Jeff Hepp, who was operating the media kayak, which is, again, it's something that's pioneer that Paddle and Finn are doing. They're, they're live casting this. I have to give a shout out to everybody. I think everybody was so excited about my performance and excited for me that they decided to put the media kayak on me. And I'm ready, let's do it. I've been on stage before in front of people. All right, let's go. I know it's not going to be easy out there, but I'm confident I can find five 12-inch bass. Come on. I casted a few times. Didn't have the bait casting reel quite worked out. Third or fourth cast, I bounced it off a tree, bird nested. 
And that began approximately 2.5 hours of pain, punishment, torture, nothing going right. Those two rod and reels that I re-spooled with brand new line was getting kinked up, was failing on me. I was getting caught in trees. The wind was pushing me. I couldn't see the action in my line. It was brutal. I was sweating. I was not in my sink. And one of the worst things that can happen to us in this sport is I was dramatically, dramatically psyching myself out. Now, the table turned on me. Yesterday, I was the explosive atom bomb of psychological warfare. But day two, it was turning on me, misfiring. I couldn't get a bite for nothing. I got frustrated. I backpedaled and I looked at the media boat, Jeff, who's sitting there, quiet, not wanting to bug me. I appreciate that, Jeff. I said, buddy, you gotta turn them cameras off. I'm gonna go out in the middle of the lake, I'm gonna pop my umbrella, I'm gonna pout. Have a little private moment. He absolutely understood, didn't laugh, didn't make any noise at all, just turned the cameras off and it was backpedaled. Me, I went back in the middle of the lake, I just popped that umbrella I got and I just hunkered down underneath it. I pouted. After about three or four minutes, I rebound, let's go. Come on, we're here to catch some fish. I went back at it, but I just struggled. Another hour, hour and a half goes by and I'm starting to bonk now. Mentally, mentally, this energy leaves you. It's like a, it's like a energy vampire, a leech of sorts that thrives off of your energy, just grabs on the back of your neck and just starts sucking it out. I used to be able to deal with that as an ultra marathon runner, but my mind's not there and my psyche ability to do it, to shield myself by that now as a kayak angler. I hope I can mature into that. So, with just about maybe all in me to quit, not to actually rage quit, which is a term coined by Michael Grimsley, one of his life lessons in a tournament. I just felt like I wanted to just, okay, this I can't do no more. I got three or four hours to catch some fish and I can't do anymore. I was close to the marina, which means close to the houseboats, which means close to the hot shower and a dry set of clothes. And I started thinking about my cowboy hat at the time going, you know what? Maybe it's the cowboy hat, and I'll tell you what, I sure hate this hood, and if I had that Stetson cowboy hat on, that rain would run right off my head and I wouldn't feel it. It would shield me from the wind, that thing holds tight in the wind. You can ride a horse 20 mile an hour and that thing's gonna stay on your head like a B-movie Western. 
And depending on which way the wind is blowing, sometimes that cowboy hat can be a contribution to a speed or detriment to how fast you're going in the kayak. <laughs> it was all over the place on day two. Couldn't figure it out. Couldn't get those angles right with the wind. It was working against me, just killing me. As it was killing everybody. I wasn't the only one. I got to remember that. Everybody's in this thing. They're all suffering winds, current, a change of plans. Pumped my way back to the houseboat. Ran in there. Shed my clothes, my wetsuit, my hodgman, basically rain suit, which was wet. I jumped in that hot shower for about 10 minutes and I ran that hot water out, I think. Felt better, went back into my room there in the houseboat and I started grabbing all my dry clothes up that I had left. I always take two pieces of everything. A few more pieces of socks and underwear. That's it, two pieces of everything else. However, it was a long five days. <laughs> Didn't really expect that. And uh, in my planning, anyway, I'd already, I just planned for about three. So I had everything packed already, and that's what I had. I put on all the dry clothes remaining, layered up the socks a couple, and uh, hit it again. Went back out with my cowboy hat on. This time I've got a better attitude, and I'm ready to get it. But day two had, again, different plans for me. Was I still in the money at the end of the day was my heavy thought. If I could just squeak out a 10, it'll be awesome. That would be so awesome. In a kayak bass fishing tournament, they turn the online leaderboard off about an hour prior. Adds a little bit of excitement and drama to it. Because if everybody knows who won, it's not that fun to show up at the captain's meeting. But it's a lot of fun to call the top 10 up and not any necessary order and then go from 10 to one. And that makes for a lot of like, who's next? So that's all I could really hope for on day two. Everybody came to me as we were hanging around the houseboats and the docks and just were like very sympathetic in a way like you know hey man what happened you know and I just couldn't explain it I didn't know what happened I just they weren't doing the same thing and I'm not educated enough to figure it out yet what was going on <sighs> by the end of the day I was able to squeak out a 12th place out of I think 23 or 24 anglers. In fact, bear with me for a second as I go online to Tourney X Pro. I hit the standings of the paddle and fin open. My largest fish was 17 inches. I had 71 inches total. Taking out David Craig putting him in 13th place. He also had a 17 inch fish by an inch and a half. Is that right? 
Not much. Will Abbott, 57, 50, 14th place. Jake Apkin, 15th place, 47.75 inches. Matt Souders, 16th place, 38.25. Ryan Becker, his largest fish was a 16 inch. It's a nice fish. 31 inches he pulled in. John Rapp, one of the retired West Virginia State Troopers, 28.25 inches of fish. Doug Keyes, 28 inches of fish at 19th place. Grant Blackford, 13 inches of fish. And John Gillespie, the other West Virginia State Trooper, got his shit packed and out of there with 12 and a half inches of fish. Joshua Lincoln pushed me out. He reminded me a lot of Guillermo Gonzalez, who was on absolute fire. Guillermo, Christine Fisher, Chody Queen. These guys are stepping into the ranks of superstars in this sport. And we all can just hope to be like them. All of them just crushed it this past weekend also. 73.25 inches of fish at 11th place. 10th place was none other than Michael Grimsley, the boy from Ohio. Worked hard for that 81.75 inches of fish. His largest was an 18 and a half inch fish. That's nice. Drew Near, 87 inches of fish, ninth place. Andrew Carpenter, 92.5 inches of fish. His largest was a 17.75. Eighth place he was. Number seven, Reese Schneider, 115.75. The first kayak angler to bust the century mark in the two-day tournament there. And it was a tough one for everybody on day one and day two. Chris Houck, another Ohio boy. Army intelligence right there, babe, bringing in 117 inches of fish. Chris Anderson, 118 inches of fish, 118 and a half. Smiling Chris Anderson, number five, another Buckeye boy. And mind you, they're all affiliated with Cincinnati Kayak Fishing and Strictly Sail. Jesse England, 134.25 inches of fish, number four. Luke Brasovic, 136 inches of fish. He was in third place. Number two was Glenn Banasic with 169.75 inches of fish. His largest with a 19-inch bass. And number one of the paddle and fin open on Dale Hollow was Adam Reiser with 172 and a half inches of fish with his largest being a 19.25. The first time they ever seen Adam Reiser was at the Hobie Bass Open Series when he did really well down in Kentucky Lake. And when he walked up on stage, he immediately reminded me, and this is in a good way, don't take this as an insult, because <laughs> it's not. He kind of reminded me of a Will Ferrell, in a way. And maybe it was just his energy that he had, but also his answer. And so when AJ was interviewing everybody and what they did, AJ and AJ Forum go, so Adam, can you tell us what you did for your success here at the Hobie Bass Open Series in Kentucky Lake. And Adam just sat there with both of his hands in his shorts, pockets, 
Had his glasses pushed back up on his head. Had the sunburn glass look on his face. You know, sunglasses where you kind of, your eyes are real white. You just kind of look like a raccoon, you know. And uh, he just looked at AJ and he said, whacking bushes. And that was like it. And I thought that was one of the funniest comments I've ever heard in my life. So I've always been a fan of Adam Reiser. And so it was good to see him do so well. He's, he's getting there. Adam is creating himself into a, a tremendous angler. He figures things out. He can adapt and change. Well, it wasn't until really yesterday morning when I figured out what was happening to me. The conditions of yesterday morning was very similar to the first day of competition. It was calm. It was partly cloudy with some sun. But there were parts of that point I was fishing and pulling all those bucks off that was calm enough I could do the same thing. Lay that Texas rig down and watch the line. I couldn't do that on the second day. I tried other things on the second day, about everything I had. Ned rigs, spinner baits, crankbaits. I tried it all. Unsuccessful, go back to the Texas rig. It just wasn't happening for me. My accurate cast, which is very important. You're precisely throwing that Texas rig beyond your target, not on top of your target. Don't knock them out with that tungsten. Throw it behind them or maybe in front of them. On the second day, I began to notice more dorsal fins on these bucks. And boy, they're working their little tails off. What was happening? It was, I, w- I was laying this Texas rig out in their nesting area. They weren't attacking it. They weren't eating it. They weren't looking at it as a food source. They were looking at it as, at it as more of a nuisance. Almost like a piece of dirt, a rock, uh, something, a pillow, uh, a sock or something that you would pick up in your living room as you're just cleaning up. That's what these bass were doing. They were gently picking up that lure, grabbing it by the tail. That tail's sticking straight up by the time they get to it. It's not long. They get right on it. And they pick that thing up, and they just simply carry it off out. And they, they were dropping it. It's soft. you got to watch it. But before they drop it, boom, hook set in the kayak. Yesterday morning, I caught between 12 and 17, 18 bass. I would have been in the money with those fish yesterday. I possibly, well, I would have been probably around the top five. And that would have felt so damn good to carry on this somewhat psychological wow. Let's keep an eye on him. (laughs) He crushed it last time I was in a tournament with that guy, you know? Oh, there he is. He's in that spot. Damn, he's taking every fish out of there. Felt so good to be that guy for a little while. But that's what we love and we hate about this sport. The challenges, you know? that are there around every corner for all of us with it. 
It's not easy. But little by little, by little, by little, you figure it out and you adapt. Well, the adaptations came on the team tournament on Sunday. Three-man team. There were a few of them. Georgia representatives, I think West Virginia or Tennessee might have been in there. Ohio, Indiana. Well, the three horsemen from Cincinnati, Ohio, Michael Grimsley, Chris Anderson, and Chris Howe, the three apocalyptic horsemen of kayak bass fishing in Dale Hollow <laughs> crushed the competition. In fact, as Michael Grimsley says, they could have probably spent a few hours in bed longer, him and Chris Halk, maybe even went down to the East Port Marina restaurant, little cafe, bar and grill down there, and uh, have some breakfast, enjoy some company with Richard and Wendy, family down there petting those beautiful dogs, and have just smiling Chris Anderson go out there and catch them all, which he was doing. At the end of the day, all that was going home with, I mean, obviously there was other people going home with big checks, second place team, bunch of young Tennessee boys, but for the boys from Cincinnati kayak fishing. They took home the big check for $1,300. And Chris Anderson, being the leader of all of that, the one who went out there and produced fish after fish after fish, that dude was catching fish on a crankbait that wasn't even hitting the bottom. He was just swimming it through and they were bringing them in. took home a brand new, new canoe kayak. They gave him the big check with his painted toenails, the mojo of the painted toenails came to fruition on that moment and that day. And there stood Chris Anderson, big man, humbled, happy, smiling and I was watching him and again I like to think that I can read people a little bit and I saw smiling Chris Anderson step back with that check as everybody continued on talking after they awarded it to him and he looked down at that new canoe kayak at his feet And for about just a few seconds, I think he fell back in retrospect. And Chris, did I see a little tear? You deserved it. Those boys were packing up <laughs> those big checks in those trucks, taking pictures. A goat showed up, the greatest of all time. <laughs> There's a goat. They got a goat in the picture. 
How apropos. I think the story goes, Richard, the owner of the Eastport Marina, found the goat floating down on some driftwood or something during the flood. I, I think it was something like that. Well, it was a long drive home. But again, I know Michael Grimsley was tired. And despite the fact that we got held up at the gas station, slow-moving gas station in Tennessee for about 40 minutes, we got some pizza out of there. Got back on the road. Michael got us home safely. Now, sort of a side note, if you're looking for a flat track racer that can handle himself behind a car that has a lot of horsepower and is not afraid to go real fast, and in fact, if you're looking for a driver that can probably make the damn car for you, Angler of the Year, Michael Grimsley, might be your man. (laughs) That boy likes to drive fast. 93 octane in that truck, baby. We're northbound and down. Thank you for listening to John Graves Kayak Fishing here on Anchor FM.